0: This weekend is the most-watched, celebrated sporting event of the year, the Super Bowl. So let me just ask, show of hands, how many of you are Eagles fans? Not a one. How many are Chiefs fans? A couple. How many really don't care at all? Okay, that tells how you really feel. I guess it's just not the right teams that are playing this year, right? You know what today, today's Super Bowl has to do with this message? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> but I do want to ask a couple of questions, but this time no show of hands. No show of hands. How many of you are right on track with our reading through the New Testaments? No show of hands. I can't tell you how many people have said to me in the last several weeks how meaningful that has been. That's, that's great to hear that uh, collectively we're trying to do this effort together. But let me ask another question. Again, no show of hands. How many of you are a little behind? Or maybe you haven't even started yet. And if that's where you're at, I understand. Life happens. I'll be honest and admit to you that a few weeks ago, Laura and I were in Atlanta watching our granddaughter for the week while our son and daughter in law were out of town, and I got a little behind while I was there. But um, this is my excuse Isn't she cute? My point, actually, that was a rather shameless way of showing off my granddaughter. My point really is that sometimes, even with the best of intentions, things don't always happen the way we want them to. This coming week, in our reading plan, we will come to the end of Matthew and begin reading in Mark. And so I just want to say to, to anybody who may be a little behind or, or maybe haven't even started yet, Mark is a good jumping on point. It's a, it's a good on-ramp. So if you find yourself in that situation, don't worry about catching up, unless you have the time to do that. Just jump into Mark, where we find ourselves the end of this week. And I share that with you because uh, we will be reading in Mark, and at the end of this week, Mark chapter 2 is the story that we will read, and I want to focus on that this morning. If you find it helpful to follow the outline or take some notes, it's, it's going to be on the inside of your weekly reading guide, so that's where that's at these days. I've spent a good bit of time with this story over the last several weeks. And, and the more that I've looked at it, the more it seems to me like there's, there's maybe five themes or, or, or five points that jump out. And I want to walk through those a little bit. And it all starts with a problem. Actually, there's a number of problems that surface in this story. The first problem is a guy who's Paralyzed. He can't walk, can't move around on his own from place to place. And I'm pretty sure that if you or I found ourselves in a similar situation without freedom of mobility, we probably would say that's a problem. But there's another problem here that actually takes up a little bigger part of the story. There are four guys, four friends of the paralyzed man Who try to bring him to Jesus to be healed, but there's a problem. The problem is that the house where Jesus is at, there's so many people in that house, there's no way they can get him inside. There's no room. The doorway of the house is blocked by all the people who are already there. Now, I want you to picture in your mind something for a moment. Certainly, the people in the crowd, in the house, had to see these four guys coming, carrying this guy on a mat, don't you think? They had to know that the reason that they were bringing him there was to get him to Jesus so that Jesus could touch him or say something or heal him. But nobody in that crowd steps aside. Nobody in the crowd gets out of the way. Nobody sees them coming and thinks, let's make room for them to get in. That's a problem. But realizing this, probably one of the four guys had the suggestion that they go up on the roof. Now, in those days, most houses were flat. Uh, Most houses were a single story and had a flat roof. And because people would often go up to the roof, it, it kind of acted like a patio, you might say. And because people would go up there at times, there was a staircase up on the side of the house. So someone in the group apparently must have suggested that, that they take their friend, still carrying him on that mat, up that staircase. Now, the roof of a house in those days was usually constructed by wood beams, and and in between that was twigs and straw and thatch, all held together by dry mud. That's why, in describing what happens here, Mark says that they were digging through the roof. In other words, they were digging through that mud and twigs and thatch in order to clear a space to bring him down. This story opens by telling us some of the problems that there are. Problem for the guy who was unable to walk and the problems for his friends trying to get him to Jesus. But now let's move from the problems to the people. Mark writes here, Some men came bringing to Jesus a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Four men. Four friends, as Paul said earlier, four friends who at some point made a commitment to their friend that they were going to get their friend to Jesus no matter what. Four friends who didn't see the limitations in front of them, but saw the possibilities. Four friends who were pretty amazing friends, don't you think? But consider for a moment the guy laying on the mat. What was he thinking through all of this? I can't help but think that he believed that he was going to walk as a result of that. It's what he'd been hoping for. It's what he's been waiting for. It's what he's been praying for. If only I could walk, he probably thought, all of my problems would be gone. But despite what he may have been thinking, Jesus had something even greater in mind for this man. In fact, the first words that Jesus spoke had nothing to do with him being able to, heal, to walk. Instead, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. This man came for physical healing, but Jesus' priority was spiritual healing. Jesus' priority was forgiveness for this man. His priority was that he would have an eternal benefit. His priority was not new legs. His priority was a new life. This man's spiritual well-being was Jesus' priority, and Jesus had the power to make it happen. And not only did Jesus have the power to make that happen, he also had the power to know what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were thinking in their hearts. They didn't think anyone could forgive sins but God alone. And absolutely, they were actually right. Jesus is God. And what Jesus demonstrates here is that having the power to heal the man physically validates Jesus' power to heal the man spiritually. Jesus had the power both to heal and forgive, which then, not surprisingly, leads to an expression of praise by all the people who witnessed this. Overall, do you see the progression of the story? Problem, people, priority, power? praise but you know I don't think those are just the main parts of the story actually I think in many ways those kind of characterize our life let me explain what I mean we all face problems in life don't we We may not literally be lying on a mat, unable to walk, but in one way or another, we all have some kind of mat that we may be confined to. Maybe it's fear, maybe it's regret, maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's anger, maybe it's misplaced priorities. Whatever it is, we all have problems in life that that can be paralyzing for us at times. Sometimes it's easy to see the problems on the outside. But sometimes, more often than not, we hide them deep, deep, deep inside, hoping no one sees them. But whatever problem that may be in your life or mine, it's important that we recognize that our problems never define us. And I say that because I want to share with you something that, I, that really kind of bothers me a little bit about this story. And it's not so much that there's something about the story that bothers me, but in some translations of this story, the word paralytic is used to describe the man who is paralyzed. And I don't like the word paralytic because to me, that sounds more like a label or a diagnosis. It's like saying somebody is an alcoholic or um, an addict or a psychotic. Those words are are labels, and yet no person is a label or a diagnosis. A person may be dealing with alcoholism. A person may be living at, with an addiction. A person may be experiencing psychotic or, psych, um, or psychotic behavior. But even if that is true, that does not define who the person is. The man in the story may be living with having been uh, with, with 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 paralysis, but that paralysis does not identify who he is. His identity, your identity, is a child of God. A child of God who has been created by God, redeemed by God, saved by God, loved by God. That's your identity. No matter what somebody might say about you, no matter what somebody might write about you, no matter what somebody might post on social media about you, None of that is your identity. Your identity is that you are created, redeemed, saved, loved by God. Now, there's not a one of us here who doesn't have more than our share of problems. But whatever problem that is, that problem does not define who you are. You're defined by God. But you know, it's exactly because you and I face a variety of problems in life, we need people in our lives, don't we? We need people in our lives who will at times pick up a corner of our mat and help carry us with whatever problem we're dealing with. I heard a phrase a few weeks ago that uh, the more I think about this phrase, the more I really like it, And, and the more I think it describes what we are to be as a church. The phrase is, circles are better than rows. Circles are better than rows. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying by that. I am not at all suggesting that next weekend when you come into worship, all these pews will be gone. We've taken the chairs, we put them in little circles, and that's where you're going to sit for now on. That'd be my last Sunday here if that were to be the case. not suggesting that at all. And while talking about that, sitting in a row with each other, shoulder to shoulder, may work in a worship setting. That is not how close, personal, meaningful relationships happen. But when you're in regular connection with people in a circle, you really see how true that statement is circles are better than rows. Because it's in your circle that someone is more than likely to pick up the corner of your mat and help carry you. And it's in that circle that you are more than likely going to pick up the corner of somebody else's mat and carry them. In the body of Christ, I firmly believe circles are better than rows. Close, personal, meaningful relationships happen that way. And yet I would say, as important as that is, as the greatest need, our most important thing, our our highest priority, is exactly what Jesus addressed first with the man who was paralyzed, the forgiveness of sins. In fact, if anybody were to ask you, why do you go to church? Or if you were trying to describe what the church is really all about, what is the, what's the main goal, what's the, what's the main primary job of the church, there's probably all kinds of things that we could say. But you know, really, the main job, the primary purpose of the church, the, the reason that we come to God, the reason we want more people to come to God, is for the forgiveness of sins. The main reason, the main purpose is to receive God's forgiveness, to to receive hope, to to receive God's love, to receive the promise of eternal life. And, And notice in our reading that even the naysayers in our reading, even the naysayers realize that it's only God who can do that. God the Father offered up his Son to suffer and die for your sins and mine. Why? Because no one can forgive sin except God alone. Only He has the power to do that. It's only the power of God that saves you. It's only the power of God that gives you hope. It's only the power of God that heals you. It's only the power of God that forgives you. And it's that same power of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead to give you new life. Only by God's power. And when you know that, When you believe that, when you trust in that in your life, when you embrace that with your whole being, then you can't help but respond in praise to the one who has given you the gift of that new life. Doesn't this kind of describe life? Problems. We all have them. People. We all need them. Priority, spiritual health and our spiritual well-being always has to come first. Power, God's the only one who can do anything about it. Praise, it's got to be our natural response. I think that describes life. It describes your life. It describes my life. It describes our life together. It describes our life with God. And because of that, thank God for the work of Jesus who continues to touch each one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.